This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm your host, Zach Moore. And I'm here in Star Trek Las Vegas, in Star Trek Las Vegas, at Star Trek Las Vegas, in Las Vegas, at the Rio Hotel. We uh, we have boots on the ground here. We have we've had some special uh, breaking news announcements that you guys might have might have heard. I'm sure you have. If you haven't, I recommend you go over to Earl Grey uh, 239 to hear us literally gush about the breaking news that Patrick Stewart is coming back as Jean Luc Picard. But uh, in the meantime, so yes, it's me, Zach. Uh, Haley is out and about doing her convention stuff and her thing. And next week, we'll hear all about her experiences here at Star Trek Las Vegas. And Ken, unfortunately, could not make it this year. But we will, we will try again next time for, for for us all to be here at the same time. But I am joined by, for his first time on Trek FM, my best friend, college roommate, and lifelong Kirk and Spock buddy, Mr. Lance Laster. What's up, Lance? What's up? How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. This is exciting. Um, I listen to the show um, on a regular, so this is cool to be like on it now. That's right. So Lance and I, uh, as I said, we go way back, and we uh, actually came to Star Trek Las Vegas 50 together. Uh, my, my dad was also with us, so that was a, that was a fun trip. That's where I you know, really met a lot of the Trek FM hosts for the first time and, and became friends and whatnot, and, uh, because it was the 50th. you know, It was, it was a monumental, historic time to go. Uh, and so I, you know, I remember I said like, well, maybe every five years I'll go, <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's so much fun to not just you know be part of all this buzz, you know, the biggest architect convention, but you know, just be around all the hosts and the listeners, you know, and you know, got been able to hang out, met, met a lot of hosts that I hadn't met before, and then a lot of li- you listeners, and I got to spend a lot of time with you guys out there. So so thank you guys. It's just been, it's been great just just hanging out. In between panels, during panels, we're not going to them, you know, at, at the Masquerade Bar. If you if you if you ever go to Las Vegas, you know all about the Masquerade Bar. That's the go-to spot, um, and then good stuff like that. So anyway, uh, this being Standard Orbit, the original series podcast, uh, I wanted to you to first hit hit the big TOS uh, things. You know, it's not that's the thing, right? The 50th anniversary was like all about the TOS, all the celebration, right? And last year was was uh, TNG's thirtieth, uh, so that was that was a big deal, all about TNG. And this is and this year is Deep Space Nine's twenty fifth, so um, 
a lot about the ES9's 25th, and we'll get to that at the end. I do want to wrap around to that just to kind of talk about the convention in general because uh, it's only fair to – if we were going to share our experiences, definitely need to hit on that. Uh, but also there's a lot of time split between Discovery and, and also, of course, Patrick Stewart's big announcement, which kind of took over took over the whole convention, and honestly, rightfully so, because that's that's big news. I agree. That's, that's, that's the highlight that everybody's going to be talking about, and that's the one thing about this – year's convention that everybody will remember i mean how could you not that's a big deal when patrick stewart you know comes out on stage in dramatic fashion and you know lets everybody know that he's back yeah i mean that's i said that in the in the podcast and i've been saying this this is like my my explain this in and ones that answer less right uh the patrick stewart thing in years to come in star trek documentaries they're going to show that right and we were part of that and that was so awesome to be in that room so True. I actually have I recorded that entire like announcement. So I have that like 43 seconds of that like build up to the announcement, the announcement and him coming out. Like, I have that on my phone. I'll keep that forever. It's pretty cool. Now, before we before we jump into it here. Uh, yeah, that's just kind of give you a flyover of what, what we'll be talking about. Not going to go into the minutia of everything. We're going to talk about the TOS hits and then, you know, uh, the DS9 being the 25th anniversary. That was the, the theme this year. Uh, I, I, I did want to ask Lance, so, so you and I, we, we both came to the 50th anniversary. That was our first time in Star Trek Las Vegas. And didn't come last year, came this year. We're talking about maybe doing an every other year thing, you know. Uh, is it cool? You know, because uh, Lance and I, you know, we, we, you know, we grew up, uh, you know, as best friends. And we don't get to spend much time together anymore because, you know, Lance's travels and adulthood has taken him to, to different places and stuff. So this is like a cool, like, like friend trip for us now. So, so it's a good way to, to, to do that. So I'm thinking about doing that. We'll see. But, uh, you know, so this is, this is the second time coming. What are your impressions of uh, STLV? It's weird because we called it STLV 50. But now we're calling it this year STLV 18, so it's a temporal paradox, you know. But anyway, how would you compare STLV 50 to STLV 18? Uh, because we actually spent a little less time here than we did last time, as far as you. So, what are your what are your thoughts on on this versus the 50th? Um, well, I still think that it's it's a big convention. Um, we've been going to conventions like this for our our niche interest for a while now, so this is one of the bigger ones that we've gone to. 50, it's it's a little unfair to compare 18 to 50 because 50 was the big, that was the big to do. It's, you know, it's the it's a big number, so they're going to pull out all the stops for it. And so with 50, there was, you know, it was packed, it was wall-to-wall people, um, and, you know, all the events and all the, like, uh, the ambiance, all the accoutrements uh, that are around the convention were great. This year is the same same exact deal. It's a little bit less uh, less scale um, as far as like you know the people and the amount of stuff, but there's still like a good amount, and it's a, a good enough amount to where like you're not wanting for anything. You're always going to be entertained by whatever's you know on the the promenade area, the staging areas with the panels um, on the dealer's floor. There's tons of stuff to still see, um, which I greatly appreciated because it was fun. Yeah, and I, I think it's only natural that something like a fiftieth would be the biggest, and then and there and again, yes, there's a noticeable um, less stuff I would say in general, but not a huge drop off of, of any way. Uh, just like you know, on the big anniversary years, it's going to be a bigger thing. That's uh, true, and then I think the biggest difference though uh, is with uh, the guests that were here this year. It seemed that with the guests, you could you could see a lot of them. Um, a little easier than you could at 50. Um, the lines were definitely shorter for a lot of the uh, a lot of the guests that were here. If you wanted an autograph or a photo op, and then some people like you know you could just kind of 
accidentally end up talking to just walking to someplace because, uh, you know, it, it was just kind of like that way. It was like that with the. Uh, um, I know Phil Morris is an example um, and a couple others that I just kind of like, you know, bumped into and just kind of said a quick hello to and shook hands with. You mentioned Phil Morris. Now, Phil Morris uh, was here. He was in Miri uh, as one of the kids. His dad, uh, Brad Morris, someone was going to correct me. I'm sorry, but his his dad was in Mission Impossible. Uh, and so when they're filming Miri, they're like, all right, everybody who has kids on the Paramount lot, bring your kids over here. We need kids. And he was, so he was in that, but he was also in, in Star Trek three. And he's like, uh, he's the guy in the, in the first scene asked Kirk, Hey, we're going to get a hero's welcome. And, uh, and then he goes on to, he's a played at Jemadar in D space nine. He was, uh, an astronaut in, in Voyager in friendship one. Um, I believe was it friendship one or one small step, excuse me. Uh, friendship one is the one where they remembered Voyager remembered that Tim Curry was not dead. And decided to bring him back and kill him anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but f- f- to me personally, uh, I was most excited to meet Phil Morris because he played the Martian Manhunter on Smallville. So I got to meet him, got a picture with him, got his autograph, and took talked to him for a few minutes. That that was a lot of fun. So um, just, that, that, since you mentioned Phil Morris, that reminded me of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, I, and actually, I prefer it like this because because you're right it was there was easier access it was less i don't know intimidating around certain things on this year there was a more kind of open feel because you know i I always compare it to something like san diego comic-con which has become a monster and too big for its own good i think because you know when when lines are long and and you can't there's no elbow room anywhere in the dealer's floor and the hallways are crammed and people are always trying to rush around and uh find seats and whatnot it's it can be kind of chaotic and and it's just a little more a little more chill this year. You know, it was like less I mean, you know, fifty two, not as big as fifty, so not less higher stakes or whatnot. I don't know, but I like I like the vibe of, of this convention. Now, um a huge thing that is different this year than last year is Star Trek Discovery is here and it's active and uh it's had a first season that people have seen <laughs> and uh the second season is is coming out they've been heavily promoting that and in the panels and in the the, uh, the trailers and all kinds of things right um so uh, to have an active star trek show right because think i mean i <laughs> have been since 2005 <laughs> since there was an active star trek show very different when there's like a movie series or a movie comes out every three or four or, or more years, um, and when you have a show that's that's active, so that's uh, that's pretty exciting. And you know, all the stars were here, every single Star Discovery star, uh, from Sonequa Martin Green all the way down to you know, the guys who had died in the pilot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so that's great, and and that's and that's part of and and I think they did a really good job in all of the. Um, I guess the signage and the marketing and marketing and uh, yeah, I guess we call it marketing of of showing like okay, this is D Space Nine Twenty Five and also Star Trek Discovery is a big deal. Uh, so uh, just just kind of bringing those two together and it did help. They kind of had a mirror universe theme uh, for those of you. I'm sure you guys have seen pictures and whatnot. You know, you walk in the big rotunda and to the entrance every year. They have the this the Delta, the Starfleet Delta, and and uh, and they kind of customize it every year for what's going on. This year they did the they did the Terran Empire thing. And uh, because the Unmarried Universe, which, uh, spoilers, but hey, <laughs> if you if you saw a picture of Star Trek in uh, Star Trek Las Vegas this year, you'll know uh, 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 Mirror Universe is a big deal in Star Trek Discovery. So they have stuff from Mirror Mirror. Of course, Deep Space Nine played a big role in the Mirror Universe. So that's that, that's great. That that fits in that fits in fine. So I uh, I, I did I did think that was an interesting play, uh, it, and it did make it look different. I was thinking like like okay like what. Uh, <laughs> because you know, first year was SDLB fifty, and the Delta had a big fifty on it. I'm like, so what do they change this to like fifty one, fifty two? Like, I I don't know what they're gonna do every year. So they found a, a unique way to to make things different. So 
so that's just kind of the brief flyover of, of impressions uh, this time versus last time that, that I had attended Atlanta as well. So uh, yeah, let's 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 get into um, the big the big TOS names, right? We had William Shatner, of course, at his panel, and Shatner is a showman, right? He's an entertainer, and he always entertains. And I I loved his panel. He could talk about anything. And I would pay to see it, and because he is just so, and he knows that, and he will, he he knows that people will pay to see him. Uh, it, it was interesting that he didn't have a moderator this year. I think last year was Adam Malin, one of the um, hosts here at Creation, and uh, we'll talk more about our opinions on the hosting situations later. But I, I I do like it when there's if the stars are able to roll with it, and Shatner. When he's he's eighty five years old, but he's sharp as a tack, and he's got a mind like a steel trap, and and he can roll with it. And he didn't need a mother, and he did have it's a, he had a couple of uh he had a mother daughter who had won a contest who got like one a charity contest that he had to spend the whole day with him. So they were up there on stage with him, and he'd be like, "How am I doing? Okay, good, okay." And he'd be walking from back and forth and and answering the questions. And I just thought it was terribly not there wasn't really that much Star Trek discussed in it. But again, we've all heard the stories. So I, I did like how it was it was fresh, I mean, to me. So uh, I enjoyed it. What, what were your thoughts on Shatner's panel, Lance? He is so engaging, and he's hilarious. Um, I enjoy every time, you know, I get to see him do stuff and see him perform because, I mean, that's that's what he's best at. I mean, it's like you said, he's a showman, and he's uh, it's he 100% did not need a moderator uh, <laughs> or anybody, like, kind of, like, curtailing him or anything. Just with somebody like that, with a personality like that, just let him go. Um, he, he he was fine. He was fun. He was um, he kept everybody entertained and engaged. Um, he got to questions quickly, which was good. Um, and I think he satisfied the the people who asked him a question with the, with whatever answer he gave. Um, and then the stuff that he was talking about personally, you're right. There was not a lot of uh, Star Trek stuff. Uh, but he did talk about what was going on in his life, and of course he would, he mentioned you know things of his that are coming out that like will be for sale. But that kind of goes with the whole Shatner persona, you know what I mean? It's just it's just kind of part of him. Yeah, I mean he's even like go buy the CD of the stand. <laughs> like like <laughs> I think my favorite. So he was talking about he has these albums, these spoken word albums, and he's like it's no it's no mystery to any of you that I can't sing. <laughs> and so, and so uh, he 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 was he was saying that he has a Christmas album coming out, which is amazing. I don't know why he hasn't had one yet. I, I'm buying that, I'm pre-ordering that. I will purchase that so fast. Yeah, that that is an immediate pre-order. He's talking about he's talking about jazz and this. And I think my favorite line that just made me laugh out loud. It, it just again, he has his cadence of speech, right? And he's like, they asked me to write a book about whatever, <laughs> like, like <laughs> uh, but but yeah, he's writing a book. And it's called um, Live Long and Dot Dot Dot. Yeah. It's about preparing for, you know, uh, death and what comes next, which is Shatner has this um, the more uh, fascination. I'm not going to call it a morbid fascination, but a fascination of, you know, aging and older and death. And, and, and for a guy who's in his 80s, I understand. Uh, yeah, and it's he's not alone in that. It's, you know, throughout history, creative types and um, and important people, influential people have always had a, you know, I don't want to say connection. I don't think that's the right word, but like they've thought long and hard about their mortality and like, you know, the legacy that they'll leave and what, you know, that next step is going to be like, you know, everybody from, you know, past conquerors to composers, you know, who wrote music about, you know, 
death and the afterlife authors. So he's not the only one. It's just kind of interesting that he's like a big name in today's, you know, in today's world that's like that. Yeah, and as far as some of the uh, stories to tell, he was, I mean, this is a show that I haven't I haven't seen. I, I, I like, DVR'd it when it first came out, and I just got, you know, so busy, and I just said, ah, whatever. But it's it's uh, better late than never. And he was talking about, just hearing him talk about, like, Terry Bradshaw and George, he's like, Terry Bradshaw, four Super Bowl rings. And, it's like, <laughs> and he's like, George Foreman opens his can. I told him not to do it. No one listens to me. Like, people would... <laughs> Like, 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 just, just, just the way people ask him. Like, um, he's like, "You watch the show? Well, you see, no one listens to me." And it, it, uh, he was telling the story about how, like, a fermented cod in, like, in, like, Switzerland or something like that, or and Sweden or something. And um, and George Foreman opened it and it got all over him. And Terry Bradshaw was like crying because of his face. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, it just it, again, you could hear Shatner or do anything, and it'd be it'd be hilarious. And uh, and yeah, I mean, he put on a show. He answered the questions. Uh, he was engaging with the fans. He had a couple of really weird questions from really a Q and A. Right, I just gotta love it. Audience Q and A. Uh, but he rolled with those two, and um, and yeah, I mean that that's I can't anything else like specifically stick out to you about about his panel? No, I don't think so. That's those are the, like the Terry Bradshaw story was the real highlight, um, especially and the person that was asking, um, ask like talking to him about that show specifically, Jackie. I remember because he called her by name. He's like, "What's your name, Jackie? Jackie? They don't listen to me." It's like it's just it's just so funny. Um, the uh, the two people that won that contest though, um, they didn't really seem all that excited to be up there. But they seemed kind of bored, don't you think? Well, I don't know how long they had been with him all day or why they're just like he was like. Oh, are you shy? You're like, no, I'm shy on the inside. It was kind of funny in the beginning, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I if I were them, I wouldn't want to like intrude on William Shatner's panel either. Like, I'm gonna like sit here and smile, and be nice. It was just, it was funny. Like, I know, I know some other friends of ours. They kind of walk. I'm like, who are these people up there with Shatner? And I'm like, well, they won some contest. I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean, that's it, it's Shatner, and I think honestly, he is so full of energy, and it's you, you could tell me he's 65. You'd be like, oh, okay. Uh, and uh, you know, and the, uh, not to sound morbid here, but I think he's going to be one of those people that are doing their thing till the day they die. Like they're just going to come one day, they're going to just drop dead one day, you know. And that's going to be that's going to be. You're n- you're not going to see like a a sl- slow and steady decline of Shatner. I don't know what it is. I mean, I may, it's something true about keeping your active mind and active body. But he 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 works. He's a workaholic, and it's it's paying off for him, you know. And I you know I I, I it's hard to. It's still to me. It's hard to just wrap my mind around the fact that Leonard Nimoy has, has passed away three years ago, and Shatner is still here more Shatner than ever. Mm-hmm. And maybe you know, cause Star Trek, Spock lives longer than Kirk because he's a Vulcan. I don't know, right? But I guess it's in my own head. It's it's just hard for me to to wrap my mind around that. And um and yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm just, I'm glad Shatner's still here with us, and and I'm excited to see him in person uh, whenever I can. I mean, that's the second time I've seen him at a Star Trek convention, and. Saw him at his one-man show. I mean, we actually, we both did. Yeah, yeah, we both went to that, um, and that was great. That was like the first time I like I'd seen him do something that was, you know, not you know behind the camera. He was it was him live. It was just kind of him telling his story. He's still just as engaging, just as funny doing that. He's very he's a very versatile performer. Yeah, speaking of that, someone did ask him about his one-man show, and he he had uh, well, they had asked it like, oh, we loved your one-man show, and the comedy hit here. Consider doing something like that with the other captains, and he he talked about his captains documentary, uh, which which is great, uh, uh, which came out in two thousand eleven, I believe, and uh, he he said he had a fun story about that, and he had said that he the in order to fly around the world and interview everyone, 
the cost that airlines traveled, all the cast and crew would be like thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they couldn't afford it. So he decided to to call an airline and 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 uh, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, he he realized that there was a a Canadian company that that and he's like well i'm canadian and so basically he just kind of yeah, used yeah so he just used that canadian connection to you know get him the you know the plane that he needed for uh for going to go for, to do interview the captains um so you know must be nice well he he called and uh, he had a joke about like oh and i called him and he started making the rotary he's like wait oh and he oh, fa- yeah. he faced he stopped he faced palms like you don't use rotaries anymore. <laughs> like, uh, and then, then he ended up, he, he, you know, as he does, he tells a story. He, he talks through the phone call. And the guy who, like, owns the business ended up being, a, like, he was a like, huge Star Trek fan. And, and, like, Star Trek is the reason he got into, like, aerodynamics and, and aero engineering. And, and he's like, oh, of course, I want to give something back. So so Shatner got this plane. So, I mean, his message is, like, you have to ask, you know. Yeah. And, and, and then he also talked about, you know, how social media is the best and worst things in society. I thought this was a great point because, yes, there's a lot, and especially in, in, in recent times, right, uh, everybody's focused on negativity in social media and what people have done in the past or are currently doing or, or whatnot. But also let's not forget the great the great good social media can do. It can bring so much awareness and connectivity to people because uh, Shatner, was, was, he went on and, and talked about, like, you know, he a lot of examples, right? He's like, well, uh, a mother who needs to get to the store. And yeah, you know, or just something like that. You know, I, I equated to like the Joe the Plumber speech that Obama's famous yeah. for back in the day, right? Um, and it was yeah, I mean he made great points, and he was using real examples that 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 he he had either helped facilitate or people have reached out to him and he had helped and stuff like that. And he's big into charity, you know. And I think and honestly, and, and I'll say this about sh- yeah, he's into it more than a lot of people think or give him credit for. Also, so let's you know let's make sure to be mindful of that. Yeah, I mean I, I mean I'll say this about Shatner, right? I mean yes, he 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 is pretty hardcore when it comes to. You know, hey, if you're gonna want my autograph or my picture, like you're gonna have to pay and whatever. And please don't bother me in public. And I 100, percent I'm with him on that 100. percent Like if the guy is on the phone or at dinner or something, like don't go bother him. You know, it's just like give him some privacy. Just because he's a public figure doesn't mean you can interrupt his life whenever you want. You know, and he's been and he's been doing this for you know 60 years, if not more, right? So um, that that's the deal. That's the deal with Shatner. And but he uses and that and so and the money. And yes, he takes some of the money himself. But a lot of this money he makes, he raises for charities. You know, and that's and that's great. And I 100 percent support that. And he's using his celebrity to, of course, uh, you know, support his lifestyle, but also give back. And I and I think it's great. And you know, people William Shatner is a polarizing figure, but as an entertainer and a showman, uh, he is the best. And 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 I love watching him do his thing. I agree. Couldn't set it better. So going down the depth chart of the <laughs> original series cast, next would be George Decay. And George had two panels, one Saturday and one today, Sunday. We're recording a Sunday evening. And uh, I went to the first one, and Lance did as well. So um, I, I liked this panel. I thought he, uh, you know, he's a very political guy. But you know what you're getting when you go see a George Decay panel, so it doesn't take you by surprise. Uh, uh, I, I really like the what, I, what and and he tells a lot of the same stories, because but he's answering a lot of the same questions, right? So I uh, and to be honest, I kind of I do kind of zone out when I hear stuff I've already heard before and whatnot. But the most interesting stuff that I gravitated towards in this particular panel was uh, he was talking about his time in the Japanese internment camps as a child. Because, you know, this is a dark stain on American history that a lot of people aren't aware of. And he likes to bring awareness to it, as he should, you know. And he made the comparison just culturally, like, to the Holocaust, right, in in Europe. Uh, Jewish culture has been like, look, never again, right? We're not going to forget this. We're going to teach this, whatever. But I don't know if it's a culture thing or what, but a lot of Japanese Americans, like, 
they they don't want to talk about it. And I, you you would understand why he wouldn't. But at the same time, uh, he said he would hear stories from people who would talk to him about it, and like, oh yeah, well my grandparents were, and they'd say, oh which one were they in? And they didn't know, you know, they just didn't they didn't know. And and that's you know, and again, this is if you for uh, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And that's why you know he's saying like this is this is important stuff to remember because you know any kind of ostracization of the other like this is a slippery slope and look what we were not too long ago. That's only 60 something odd years ago, 70 years ago, um, less than a century people. So, um, important stuff and powerful stuff. Agreed. And you know, it's, it, 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 he he was touching on a subject that like, you know, we can, we can unfortunately easily find ourselves heading down that type of dark road if we're not careful, which I think is why he's doing this project to kind of bring light to it and to, you know, educate and help people be aware of the situation so that way they can learn from it. So that way we as a people do not like devolve into doing something like that ever again, because I don't think anybody wants anybody to experience that type of that type of feeling and that type of being confined, oppressed and, you know, just kind of. So kind of like systematically, like just moved aside. Well, one of the most chilling things about it to me was, and this is, he didn't spend a lot of time talking about this, but again, this is the thing that kind of like, whoa, opened my eyes listening to him. Is he talked about, obviously, you know, suicide is, you know, uh, shameful in most societies and cultures and whatnot. And uh, a lot of the people who were prisoners in these camps, they didn't want to have their deaths listed as suicide, bringing their shame upon their house or family or whatnot. And so what they would do is they would kind of like suicide by cop, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. Like uh, there were these guard towers. I mean, we have guard towers. I mean, it's crazy, right? We have guard towers. You know, these people have done nothing wrong within this camp, and they're like prisoners, right? And, you know, armed, you know, security officers with, you know, guns and whatnot. And if, uh, you know, some members of this camp would walk towards the fence, right, they'd be they'd get them like, all right, we're stand down if we're going to shoot you, you know? And they would just keep walking. Like, this is your last warning. And then they would shoot them. But then they would be, and they would be killed, but they would be listed as, you know, killed, not trying to escape, right? Other than, as opposed to suicide. And so that was their way out. And God, that is like, I mean, how hopeless do you have to be for that, right? So that that was chilling to me. And I, I hadn't even thought about that ever yeah, in my life. I mean, I know, but oh yeah, Japanese tournament camps and where it was terrible and all that, right? It's just, it's just an afterthought sometimes when all when everything is going on in World War II, you don't really think about that, and that's part of the problem. That's yeah. why he talks about it. So, um, so to me, that was the most powerful thing that he talked. about. Of course, he you know he talked about other you know equal rights and whatnot. That's his thing, you know. And he did talk about, and I 100 percent agree with him on this. That to, to kind of <laughs> that was a heavy topic. So let's kind of bring it back to Star Trek here. I. Uh, I agree with him about Sulu and Beyond and that, that the way that Sulu being gay was handled because he said, look, John Cho called me and I talked to him and Simon Pegg and all this. And, and you know, although flattered to the idea, I would you know, Sulu was not gay. Sulu was not – Jane Robbery didn't make a gay character. You know? So that would imply that he had been closeted this whole time and, and all, you know, everything that spins out of that. He's like, hey, make a new character and do that. And I 100% agree with him about that. And <laughs> the best part, though, is he's like – and then after all that, you see the movie and he just – some guy with his daughter, like, could be his friend. I'm like, that's it. That's all, you know. That's a bad – I do a much better Shatner than Decay. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, that's it, right? You know? Yeah, that was funny. It's just like if you're going to do it, you know, go 100% of the way. Don't go, like, you know, 60 and have, you know, somebody try to go 40. Like, go 100% of the way. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, I know that was kind of controversial back in, you know, 2016, his opinions on it. But, I, you know, 
I, I agree with him on that. So, um, so yeah, and it was it was right. And, and the last thing on Takei, because it always comes up uh, when you talk about him, he didn't really mention Shatner at all. At least the one I was in, right? He might have mentioned this on the next day, but in the panel, I was like, oh wow, we didn't get a, like a disillusioned Shatner this panel, which is refreshing because there's so much more to George as we were talking about. Here. There's so much more to him than just hey, I don't, I'm George Takei and I don't like William Shatner, right? There's so much more to him than that. And and I like when that is just not on the table. Like, let's talk about other stuff, you know, because we know everybody knows this by now. So that was refreshing. To a lot of these things, people ask, you know. I mean, when people ask him about the William Shatner thing, he answers it. When people ask him about the Starship Beyond thing, he answers it. So uh, a lot of – and that's the thing about these audience Q&As. It's like I don't – they're always they're, – I always joke they're like a loaded gun, right? You never know what's going to happen. And some people ask some great questions and get some great answers, and some people ask some really – oh, here's one perfect example, right? Here's one um, that uh, somebody asked him, like, why weren't you Inspector of the Gun? He's like, well, you have to refresh my memory, and that was 50 years ago. <laughs> like, what? And like, well, it was the one with the Cowboys. He's like, well, I, you know, what is the plot? You know, <laughs> and so, and yeah, I don't, I don't blame. And it, 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 you know, Sulu's not in that one, right? But, um, it was, but it led to him explaining the end joke we have on. <laughs> <laughs> on Santa Robert when uh, a host is not here. We joke they're off filming the Green Berets, and he you know, explained that, and, and I tweeted about it. And uh, it, In his own words, he explained that he was off filming the Green Berets, and it ran late because of weather and whatnot, and they brought in Walter Cannon to check off, and, you know, and then uh, when he came back, he just had to share all his stuff with Chekhov because he can kind of take his spot. And it's 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 a funny um, little anecdote there. But I, I love that like I got to see him say that in person because I knew that anecdote, and now I have it recorded for all posterity. Uh, so if anybody asks me about like what's this Green Rays thing, I've heard you guys mention that. Well, that's what it is. So uh, anyway, so that, yeah, that's the George K panel. And then next on the depth chart at this point would be Walter Canning as Chekhov. He is the next guy, and he was on Friday. So Lance, you weren't in town yet, but I went to that myself, and I th- I thought this was a great panel. He you know, he looks frail, but he doesn't move frail. You know, he came out, he had some dance moves, and whatnot. It was it was it was fun. And uh, you know, he uh, he just talked about. He actually spent a lot of time talking about his family and the history there. Uh, for his father, he's like, yeah, my father was a communist. Like he just flat out says it, right? And they come to the country, and they were under investigation. He, they were always worried about a knock on the door and the government coming to take him away. I mean, this is you know, this is the the early 1900s, you know, mid 1900s. So this was this was a big deal. It's, these slices of life that these people have had that you realize that man, like, have we really come that far in the, in the last 50 or 100 years? I don't know. But then you know, he he talked about, um, and I I really like Walter Koenig's um, kind of self-awareness about his celebrity especially on star trek because he he'd say like he's especially in the 70s right he's like oh we before he's like before star trek came back in the movies be like oh we go to these conventions like, oh we loved you we love Chekhov. we lived on star trek he's like really you love me he's like warp factor three. Oh, how how can you how i mean how can you love warp factor three right he's like, hey, captain warp factor three. it's like so <laughs> he had some great perspective he's like look i love the attention but i always felt like it was very misplaced and and, and kind of exaggerated uh, and I really couldn't wrap my mind around it. And I, I thought that was a very um, self-aware, just humble thing for him to say. I think as an actor, of course, you got you have your egos, but even he had the perspective. Like I just felt like he's like, don't get me wrong, I I appreciate Chekhov. I just felt like it could have been so much more. Yeah, you know, I saw, I saw you tweeting about that, and it kind of made me think. It was like that's that's a unique perspective to have, and it kind of reminds me of like you know professional athletes on like pro sports teams because it's like you know you like you know fans always like you know they love like you know the star player, but then there's like you know the role player who doesn't you know play as much who could be somebody's favorite player whenever they go out and do something, uh, but like at the same time you're just like well like you should you know I shouldn't be your favorite you know what I mean. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, he's like, look, I, I like it, but but I did nothing to earn this. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, just being a true team player. And, you know, he went on to talk about uh, writing. How he began. Someone asked him about how he got into writing, and he's like, well, I, you know, after Star Trek, nobody called. So I was like, well, I got to... I got to get to work somehow, and he has become a writer, and and that's uh, add that to his to his toolbox, and um, wrote an episode of Star Trek: The Animated Series, the old, the Infinite Vulcan, the one with the fifty uh, foot Spock, and he he actually mentioned like that the Gene Roddenberry like had him rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it, and then he realized that you know after after he he had come to realize after the fact that like he Gene Roddenberry did this with everybody <laughs> rewriting scripts, he's like yeah I, mean, I wanted to start with something that was you know had an interesting concept, but then. Gene, Gene said, oh, we're in animation. We can do things we've never done before. And he kept pushing and pushing. So we ended up with things like talking vegetables and a 50-foot Spock. So, again, very self-aware. And, you know, uh, and I really appreciate that. But, and, and, and have you seen Canning uh, uh, on Shatner's Raw Nerve? I know we've mentioned that a few times here on Standard Orbit over the years. Uh, I went and sought that out after Ken recommended it to me, actually. And um, very thoughtful guy, you know, and, 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 that, and that shows. Yeah, but then he did go on to say, hey, look, all the Star Trek stuff, it led to Babylon 5. And everybody's like, woo! <laughs> Because Babylon Five is great. I mean, that is uh, Canning. Uh, that is his shining role, in my opinion. Bester is a recurring villain on Babylon Five. He plays a telepath, um, and he is. And he's in quite a few episodes as a, as a recurring guest star. And uh, that I mean, I, we you ask like, who's like who who had the best career out of them? The big three, right? Because DeForest Kelly kind of had his career before Star Trek, westerns and whatnot. Shatner and Neymar obviously went on to prolific things. And then you look at the rest of the guys, right? Like, well, it's a K maybe, but you know, a bit parts here and there. He's more of a meme guy almost. He's more he's more famous for being George Takei than being like a, a part. But Walter Canning, like I honestly think he's he was the best actor of, of the of the other four, you know, so to speak. Um, because he he really there is no check off in Bester on Babylon Five. And um and and because of that, you know, speaking of the Babylon Five connection, Harlan Ellison, who passed away this uh just just a few weeks ago, really, and the, the convention was was partly dedicated to his memory. Uh, him and him and Canning were friends, and uh, on and off friends, Canning described it, you know, because uh, <laughs> because you know they they Harlan Nelson, uh, he was kind of a he was a highly opinionated guy, and so they would you know every now and then have have good times, bad times, and whatnot. <laughs> but uh, he uh, through through that, uh, I, I don't know if that's how the connection exactly went with Babylon Five, but uh, but he went on to talk about how they you know writing together and, and whatnot, and and uh, and um, I just I thought that was that was interesting that all these you know these Star Trek people you wouldn't necessarily think like oh Harlan Ellison and Walter Koenig he wasn't even on Star Trek in the first season but anyway um you know that 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 was obviously uh, appropriate for him to, him to mention their friendship because you know they uh, he had passed away recently so yeah and then you know the Q and A for Walter Koenig uh, got off to a really awkward start I mean there's no need to go into the details here but basically it's it's a perfect example of like bad Q and A fans asking confusing questions aging stars having trouble hearing you know like literally like the first 10 minutes of this was a couple of questions that were like long-winded weird he misunderstood them and like literally at the end like he got down to the mic god bless him he went down to the mic to try and understand what one of the women had asked him and uh, i think i think it was adam malin again it was the the moderator he's like hey walter all right come back up here this is kind of spiraled out of control and and that's that i don't know it comes a point where i don't know if you should do q a anyway shatner is uh is 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 a man man apart right he can roll with the decay did great with the q a as well um, but you know, I, I can't, it's not that he's, he's just, he's hard of hearing, you know? And then also people ask some crazy questions. So just, I, I, and, but there's so many people and there's not enough time. I understand you can't vet the questions now, uh, which, which kind of leads me to the last U S celebrity who was here. Michelle Nichols was here and, uh, and God bless her. She, she is not, not all there mentally anymore, right? She's had dementia 
and she cannot do panels and stuff anymore. Like we saw, Lance, we saw it just a couple of years ago at the 50th panel. That was that was tough to see, right? It was tough to see because you can because she kept, you know, she kept telling like the same story like repeatedly, and she kept like that was like an her answer for something. And it's just like it's like it's it's like she's almost there but not quite, and it's it's kind of tough to see. Um, I'm glad that she still like comes out um, to you know to meet with you know meet with fans because fans still love her. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's disappointing that, you know, that she can't, you know, continue to do panels and stuff. Cause I'm sure she has interesting things to say, but she can't really do it as proficiently anymore. Yeah. I mean, always a smile on her face, always very gracious meeting the fans, always excited to meet them and vice versa, as you said. Um, but I, I, I am, you know, I'm glad they kind of, kind of moved her out of the here's Michelle Nichols, you know, panel and whatnot. Uh, because even when we went to a couple years ago, they had said, okay, no, no audience questions for Nichelle. We can at least tell her, talk to her and tell her how much you appreciate her and, and all that good stuff. And, uh, so anyway, uh, she was here. Um, and it uh, seems like she'll continue to be here until she can't come anymore. Uh, but again, that's, that's what's so, um, to me, that's what's so important about going and seeing these guys cause, and, and, and girls, <laughs> uh, because you, you don't know how long they're going to be with us. You know, I mean, Nimoy, he was, he did Star Trek 09 in 2013. And then just a couple of years later, his his uh, health had deteriorated from you know his, his smoking and and he's no longer that's that's my greatest like Star Trek fan regret. I never got to see Leonard Nimoy in person because Leonard Nimoy like he was as much as William Shatner and like Patrick Stewart are Star Trek. Leonard Nimoy really was Star Trek. He was there from the beginning, creatively behind the scenes as the years went on. And, and so that's my greatest Star Trek fan regret. Never getting to see to see Nimoy in person. But that's 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 the gist of the. Um, Obviously, that's that's the gist of the TOS main stars who were here. There were there were um, some guest star panels. Um, I went to one of them of the TOS uh, TOS guest star panel. As I as I go through my notes here, <laughs> as you hear me shuffling paper, you know I'm really going through my notes here. Um, the um, it was the second uh, TOS guest star panel. It had Sandy Gipple, Joanne Linville, and Eddie Paskey. Now Sandy Gimple uh, played the salt vampire in the Man Trap. She was in the costume. She was really only in that one uh, scene at the climax. She, she actually that was kind of interesting uh, to hear from her because I've never I've never heard from her before. But she was just talking about the scene there, and you know uh, she couldn't see when the mask was on, so they had to practice off the mask. And Shatner, and she talked about how Shatner really sold it because he's like screaming like ah, ah. no one can scream like Shatner either. But uh, uh, so interesting to just hear start, hear those those little anecdotes from her. Uh, Eddie Paskey, you know, um, uh, he. Uh, has been in more Star Trek episodes than, than almost anybody who's a main main cast member. He was there where no man has gone before, and then dozens and dozens of other one. He kind he kind of joked that like whenever there was someone, whenever he thought like a red shirt was gonna die, he like made sure somebody else volunteered for it because he wanted to keep coming back. So that was a cute little anecdote from from him. And then Joanne Linville, um, who's the famously played the Roman commander in the Imp- Enterprise incident. This is her first convention, and she's kind of been I don't know rediscovered so to speak because her daughter. Played the same character in the series finale of Star Trek Continuous and did it amazing. Looks just like her. It, it was uncanny. Um, but she had some she had some great stories about working in old Hollywood and all that. And and and, and you know, speaking of Leonard Nimoy, uh, she was asked about working with Leonard, and she's like, he was always that guy, you know, on camera, off camera. Like he was just very composed and and just and 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 other stars have said this as well. So it's interesting to hear. Yeah, that's really cool to know, and it, it, it kind of like it makes you feel good, you know, like that, you know they thought as highly of, of him as, as we fans do. That's kind of cool. It kind of balanced out Shatner, right? Cause <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, that's, that is the, that is the TOS chapter of the, uh, of the convention here. Uh, there, there were other, obviously there were a lot of other documentary, uh, documentaries. There were a lot of other, um, panels went to a lot of, went to TG stuff was great. Um, enjoyed those, uh, you know, but, but, uh, D Space Nine, right? Let's kind of, 
change gears and transition to that, even though this is the standard orbit original series podcast. We'll, we'll talk some D Space Nine. They, hey, remember when D Space Nine came into a original series episode and Trials and Tribulations? So I'm um, going to use that as justification for us to talk about D Space Nine. Uh, so. <laughs> That's fair, and also, you know, it it is their 25th anniversary. It kind of deserves a mention. Definitely, I mean, that, and that's you know, that's the well, we'll leave we'll leave all discovery talk to the edge, right? But we will we will talk some Deep Space Nine here, and uh, the, a lot. I went to I went to most of the Deep Space Nine panels. They had a big one with Irish Stephen Bear and a lot of the other actors, and uh, that Andrew J. Robinson needs its own panel because uh, there was a lot of questions. Uh, we had Nicole DeBear and Chase Masterson. And Andrew J. Robinson and James Darren, um, and there might have been. Well, let me let me hear here here. You know let me go through my notes. Um, who was? Um, oh, I named them all. Good. <laughs> but um, that was a great panel. But I think uh, everybody loves Garrick, plain simple Garrick. And so many questions were like, oh. Sorry, everybody, but I have another question for Mr. Robinson, right? I mean, he could go up there unmoderated. He's a writer. He's an actor. He's such an intelligent guy. And, and to hear him talk about him, Garrick was great. And Irish Stephen Bear is always great, one of the great creative minds in Star Trek. Uh, so and they just talked about their um, – uh, just just any just pretty much their experiences on the show, as you would expect. Uh, the main uh, – honestly, the main one I was I was most interested in looking forward to, uh, other, than the, what, uh, other than the Far Beyond Stars uh, panel, which we'll talk about, was the DS9 documentary panel. With Irish Stephen Bear and Dave Zappone, and they actually showed a clip from from the uh, from the documentary. They they had upgraded. They 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 claim it was some of the footage was upgraded to HD, but you know um, you can't tell really on a projector, honestly, in the presentation. But they talked about they talked about Avery Brooks and how he's not involved, and they kept, lots of, they kept getting lots of questions about Avery Brooks. Yeah, again, people with the fan questions like Irish Stephen Bear. He's like, all right, first thing, Avery's not in the documentary. New footage. He's in an archive footage. He's given us his blessing to use this footage. We are talking to him pretty much every week about how he's going to be involved with the, with the existing footage. He has his hand in it, but he feels like he said everything needs to be said, and that's that. And and then they moved on, and then people really <laughs> – I said there were two or three other questions. Like, hey, where's Avery? And we need Avery books more than ever. I'm like, look, I, get an Avery, I feel so bad for Ira, and he was up there just like, look, guys, I agree with you. I wish that he was part of it. He shows not to be. I respect that. But he is involved by letting us use. I mean, he could like again. He's a weird guy. Like, if you've seen the Captain's documentary, you know how weird Avery Brooks is. So he could shut this. He could shut this all down. You know, like he can make it really difficult. But he's not. Yeah, he could say no. You can't use my stuff. Can't use my likeness. Can't use this or that. He's not doing that. He's like, here. I've said. I've had dozens of interviews or hundreds. Here's the clips. Use them. You know. Yeah. So um, that's. I mean, yes, we all wish he was involved, and he's not. And people just, I just wish people would just get over that hump. I mean, that's that's all there is. Yes, it is. It is kind of weird that every single other person ever involved in East Space Nine is in it, and he's not. But again, he will. His presence will be known. And they show clips, and they're like from you know just a few years ago, uh, even at at, at uh, conventions and whatnot. So I um I I don't. I originally I was one of those people like, no Avery Brooks, no documentary. Ah! But I mean, seeing how they're using him and. Uh, and how it's all put together, knowing that it does have his blessing, that kind of changed the perception for me. And and you get to see what you what you get to see how they're incorporating it because the the clips they showed it was probably I don't know a minute or two, and it was about his uh, uh, Benjamin Cisco's relationship with Jake Cisco, and they had Carrick Lofton, and they had uh, uh, Avery Brooks, and you know, and, and the clips in the show, and other interviews, and and that was great. And if that's the way the whole thing's going to be, then that's going to translate perfectly, and it's great. Now, 
they don't, they, they said they are said they are picture locked, which means that all I have to do now is audio mix and color correction and stuff like that, and add the credits. And it's I believe they said one hour and forty eight minutes or something along that, which is almost two hours, which is great. Initially they were like it's gonna be an hour, and then it was like an hour and a half, and now we're almost two hours, which is great. And I you know um there obviously Adam Dumoy was gonna direct and he wasn't, and you know I that's a, that's a I'm sure there's there's all kinds of behind the scenes reasons there and whatnot. I feel like that kind of slowed it down, but they did say they're they're they intend to release it this year. Because it's the 25th anniversary, which is great. Because of Deep Space Nine, the more Deep Space Nine stuff we have, the better. Because this is their 25th anniversary, and I think the fans want it, and the fans deserve it. So, and that's why we're talking about it here with you here. So, <laughs> but um, a lot of stuff, unfortunately, people would ask. You know, Ira was running the panel, Ira Stephen Bear, and they're like, "What about this? What about that?" And he's like, "I well, it's in the documentary. I don't want to spoil it." Or, well, I, I can't. It's so. <laughs> it would have been awesome if they had finished it and premiered it here. Uh, that would have been cool. But, um, you know, we got to get Patrick Stewart announcing he's coming back to Star Trek, so I'll take that right. For sure. Um, I'm just kind of glad that, like, that it's happening. Um, I think it's this is something that's kind of long overdue, especially considering that in the, in the I guess, the pantheon of all the different Trek shows, DS9 is the one that's often forgotten, but, like, it's still, at the same time, it's well-liked, and people, like, once they get into it, they get into it. So I'm glad that more people are kind of coming around to it because it's you know if they haven't and, and and aren't they're missing out on a really great show. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know to to kind of bookend everything then and, and talk about uh, um, these space nine. We kind of capped off the documentary that was earlier today. They showed Far Beyond the Stars, famous episode of Deep Space Nine, directed by Avery Brooks, which I had forgotten, and written by Mark Sacree, uh, who is uh, known for writing for the Twilight Zone Companion. The That's his kind of claim to fame. He's the Twilight Zone guy, right? Twilight Zone Companion. Uh, he's written for Next Generation, uh, Deep Space Nine, Batman the Animated Series. He's doing this uh, new show called Star Command, uh, starring Doug Jones from Discoveries, Saru. So um, he, he has nerd, he has as much nerd credit as anybody can get, right? And and uh, he pitched this idea to, to D Space Nine, and they, they liked it, but they wanted to tweak it some and this and that. And they go into all this after they showed the episode. But I will say, just watching the episode, I hadn't watched it in a while. And wow, it is an extremely powerful episode. And it really, as, as D Space Nine has proven, it is it is truly timeless because it's, it's just as applicable, if not even more so, on so many issues that it addresses today than it even was back in the late 90s. Uh, for sure. Um, it's it's an incredibly powerful episode. Um, it's my favorite episode out of all of Star Trek. Um, and I think it, it kind of encapsulates it kind of encapsulates um, everything that Star Trek is about. You know, um, it's it's I mean, you should be you should want to be Benny Russell dreaming of of that future. Um, it's that's that's what we're all wanting. Are you the dreamer or the dream? You know, uh, I'm I'm glad that that was in there. That rem- it, that reminds me of the uh, poem by uh, Arthur O'Shaughnessy uh, called "Ode." Uh, the, we oh, are the music yeah, majors. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, it has um, you know, we are the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams. In there, it's a great poem. Um, you should look it up. It's great. It's a it's a really good poem. So, yeah, and also you know, Lewis Carroll, right? Like. Uh, Right, like like the, yeah. are you the dreamer or some fragment of someone else's dream, right? Something like that. Alice Wonderland going on there, but uh, yeah. So this, I mean, what is the deal? And we'll get into it here in a second. But it, again, I, I come to this realization um, <laughs> recently. It's like all the best and most notable Star Trek episodes are so are the ones that break the formula, right? Like first of all, 
It's called Star Trek, not Time Trek. But almost, I mean, this is not really time travel, but it kind of is, you know, Star Trek. So, like, literally, you go down, like, what's the best original series episode? Stay down the edge forever. Okay. What's the best next generation episode? Nah, yesterday's Enterprise. Maybe all good things. Maybe Interlight. Okay, all time travel alternate stuff that never happens, right? What's the most episode of Deep Space Nine? Uh, The Visitor. Or Far Beyond the Stars, right? Or Pale Moonlight. It's like the only exception, right? What's the best episode of Voyager? I don't know. Timeless or Year of Hell or, you know, it's just like everything's time travel. And then Enterprise, you know, um, same thing. Uh, My favorite, uh, one of my favorite Enterprise episodes is Twilight, right? Which is when Archer's going quantumly, um, like uh, back and forth mentally and all that stuff. Um, and of course, the Temporal Cold War and Enterprise. So, so much, so much went on there. It's just, it's interesting to me. And maybe it has something to be said for these episodes breaking the mold. Um, but like, like I, City Lines Forever is a great episode. I would not call it the greatest episode of Star Trek because it doesn't really represent what Star Trek is more than other episodes. However, Far Beyond the Stars, it is very different than what like a typical Deep Space Nine episode is. But it perfectly represents what Star Trek is, and that is dreaming of the better tomorrow, uh, dreaming of the better future, and especially the fact that um, it's it's someone who is downtrodden, who is dreaming of this future, right? I mean, that's that's the that's the the biggest key to it. Yeah, somebody who's disenfranchised and is hoping that what he is going through is something that people in the future don't have to go through, and and that's that is a, a great message like it's and it's 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 selfless you know because he wants something better for everybody not just for himself yeah i mean people make fun of the omega glory from the original series to tie it back <laughs> to the original series here and uh when kirk is talking about the constitution to the yanks at the end he's like these have to apply to everyone they mean nothing is what he says and it's so true because like yeah it's great to have all these great lofty like well we do this this way bah, bah, bah. but if you still say well that applies to this but those people over there no doesn't apply to and that's not the star trek future and that's not you know the future we want in america and unfortunately like the stuff you see in this episode of like, wow, look, the '50s is backward, and we're glad we've all passed that. It's going on today, if not if not worse in some aspects, right? So, man, that really hits you home. And um, yeah, I mean, you could you could talk forever about the episode itself, but the the panel was was great at the end. Um, although, and this is when I'll circle back around and talk about the some of the the hosts here, like um, Adam Malin, right? <laughs> it's just like, man, I wish he would just. I think I think the hosting um, or the moderating, I should say. It's a little too hands-on at some of these panels because, like, Mark Scott's like, Mark Scott's great. Please tell us about the episode. And he starts talking about it. And this is the guy, like, invented this story and is trying to tell you, like, how he came up with it and how he sold it, like, all this interesting stuff. And he's like, okay, well, okay, well, let's, let's, uh, let's move on to this. And, like, dude, like, let the people talk. So I felt like, and then it was the last thing, right? So what is the rush? Let's have a two hour panel for this, right? Like, why, why, why save it to just an hour? And especially for something like this. This is a big deal. They showed they showed an episode here, and then they were talked about it right afterwards, and it's, you know, it, it's an episode of a show that's celebrating its 25th anniversary. Like, I mean, like, let the guy that wrote the episode have his say. And there's, like, eight people on this panel, so, I mean, uh, like, everybody gets, like, 30 seconds to talk, and, um, anyway, like, Sirach Lofton, Aaron Eisenberg, uh, Terry Farrell, Man of Visitor, Mark Alamo, Jeffrey Combs. I'm not looking at the list. I'm trying to remember them all. Uh, Rene Ajabinois. Uh, I've learned how to say that over the years. Uh, and I think that's that's Armin everybody. Armin, Armin Shimmer. That's right. And so they were all on there, and they all probably had, I don't know, about five minutes to talk or whatever, and, and which, which is fine. But it felt like, I don't know, when you have that many people on a panel and you want to get, like, deep in the stuff, which, which something like this really requires, I would have liked to see a two-hour panel because there's nothing else after this. Yeah. 
They would have had to rent the convention hall an extra hour to help tear down. And I, I get it Sunday, and people are tearing stuff down and leaving. But as you said, like we just watched an episode. So it's like, you guys have heard how long we can talk about. Two or three or four people on these Trek FM podcasts are talking about an episode. We got eight people who were involved in the making of it. So I just, I feel like, look, some things require moderators. I understand. But others are just kind of frustrating. Like, like Ronald D. Moore had a panel today. And I found all of Adam Haley cutting and talking to him just very frustrating. Yeah. It was the same during the uh, composers panel uh, with uh, Michael Giacchino and um, and Dennis McCarthy, and it was just like he, like he interrupted and kind of like ans- asked them more of his own questions and things he wanted to know instead of like you know you know remembering that there are fans that also might might have wanted had a question like we had like maybe you know only time for like two questions. It's like what's the point at that point? Right. I mean, like have okay. First hour is discussion, and the second hour is Q&A. I mean, because some of these people ask crazy long questions again. Well, and they tell a story first. They tell a story first, and then, you know, they they have something else to say, and then they ask a question. I don't remember one of the panels. I don't know what it was. Cause I, you know, I ended up going a lot more panels this year than I thought I would, but there was just so much interesting stuff going on. But one of the panels, somebody, like, they're, like, they're, like, they're talking for, like, five minutes, and they're finally like, do you have a question? <laughs> they go, oh, yeah, I – I have a three-part question for everyone on the panel. <laughs> it's like, no, no, have some respect for your fellow fans, right, about this time. So, um, yeah, I actually, uh, and I really, and I tweeted about this, uh, Mark Alamo, or Alimo, call him, Al- like, I'm from Texas, right? Remember the Alamo, so that's that's why I call him Mark Alamo. But um, he had a, um, he got some, there was some, like, from the Goldicott fan club there from, like, yeah. Europe or something, and, and and they were like, you're the best. I'm like, hey, I agree. Goldicott is the best villain in Star Trek. Don't at me, right? Goldicott, Kaiwen, Khan. There's your top three. So, uh, agree? I agree. All right, that's why we're best friends. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he had a little moment to, you know, to respond to that. And then they actually asked them about, uh, they asked him and Jeffrey Combs because they were kind of the, you know, the, the the cops, the, uh, the, uh, the, the bigoted cops of the piece who, who, who shoot Jake and beat up Ben. And um, he's like, yeah, I read that, and he's like, I didn't want to be like the racist cop, you know. And uh, and and they explain like their approach to it and whatnot. But but I think one of the best things was what? Oh, uh, uh, Mark was just like, you know, at least we didn't, you know, shoot him in the back when he was trying to get away. And I was like, oh, dang. Yeah. Mic drop. Thank you, Goldicott. Right. Ooh. But anyway, that. So uh, and let's. Uh, and yeah. So everybody had like like interesting things to say and. About everything, I think I think uh, Sarah Lofton spoke a lot to Avery Brooks's uh, direction, and attention to detail, and how certain things meant certain things to people, and and how he had he had kind of crafted certain scenes, like the kind of clothes people wear, based off you know people that he had known in his life who had gone through these sorts of things, and, and of course they talk about Brock Peters, what an amazing. We actually oh, yeah. talked about Brock Peters last week on the last yeah. episode of Standard Robot. Um and so him have a great presence in this episode and the continuity of his dad and and whatnot. Um, anyway, I mean, yeah, I mean. I don't know if, if these panels ever get released or, or whatever, but I, I, I wish they would if some capacity and put it on a Blu-ray. Right? Put it on the D-Space 9 HD Blu-ray, right? I agree. Yeah, go for it. Put these on. Okay, here's a great idea. Release these panels exclusively on CBS All Access. <laughs> yeah, so that, you know, force people to get that subscription. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, um, you know, Star Trek has traditionally been, you know, it's used science fiction in the way science fiction is best used is like, let's paint issues of today 
which are kind of controversial, and then if you attack them head-on, people are going to, like, draw back from, like, hey, I don't want that. Don't preach to me about that, right? Like, let that be your last battlefield in the original series. It's one of my favorite episodes. And it, it, it shows you how just stupid racism is. Like, like Kirk and Spock are sitting with Loki, and they're like, what's your problem with this guy? He's like, well, it's obvious that he's of an inferior breed. And Kirk's like, you're black on one side and white on the other. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> And <laughs> even Spock's like, he's of the same breed as you. And I remember, I remember, like, I, really, I even thought of this when I was a kid, and my mom said this. She was like, Spock should have known the difference. Like, Spock should have figured that out. Like, this is a different episode. He would have been like, well, Captain, if you observe the pigmentation, I'm like, you know. Um, but it just shows you how stupid racism is. And and people are like, well, that's really on the nose. And I was like, yeah, but that's the point. It's the point, right? Um, but still, it's in the sci-fi future. You got aliens who are, you know, weird looking and whatnot. This is, hey, guys. Here's the 1950s uh, in New York, and this was bad, and it's still kind of bad. So deal with it. Do you feel like it's too? I mean, I know you don't. I know you don't feel this way because it's like your favorite episode, right? But can, do you feel like like maybe it was too direct, or do you feel like sometimes we need this direct stuff in our fiction? I think we need the direct stuff in our fiction because it, otherwise, people like in general won't get the point. Uh, they just kind of need that, like you know hammer on the nail like to really like be like this is what we are telling you um and that way they get it whether they like it or not well and it's also important to make the distinction that yeah the 1960s star trek can tell a story about 1960s earth but the 1990s star trek can tell a story about like 1950s earth in this way and i think that's oh it's well it's a period piece and you know you kind of get around it that way and it's a vision from the prophets and whatnot yeah. and 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 uh I think they made it work. And that was something Mark Scott Zakri was talking about. He had trouble, like, figuring out the mechanism to make this happen. Because he's, you know, he's a Twilight Zone guy. So it was kind of like a Twilight Zone episode. And that was kind of like And it really did feel that way, especially at the beginning where, like, Cisco's like, you see a guy over here and he follows someone into a walkway and goes into, like, walks into the street and gets hit by a car. And classic, like, weird Twilight Zone transformations. And uh, something that one character experiencing isolated from the world around him. But uh, but Irish Stephen Bear and the guys, they sat down and they figured out, okay, we'll use the profits because you established the visions and whatnot. And I think for a show like Deep Space Nine, it, it totally works. Yeah. So. It was brilliantly, brilliantly crafted, um, you know, especially with the involvement of the profits and how they kind of like facilitated this way to teach Cisco a lesson uh, that he needed to, at a time he needed it, especially during the war, the Dominion War. Well, I mean, and, you know, to kind of wrap things back around here to uh, the original series, our podcast, right? What What do you think about, speaking of this, because I've always found this interesting, because obviously I've come from these episodes years later, right? And, look, I'm a white guy, right? So, I mean, this kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, like intellectually, I'm like, wow, that was well done, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't like, resonate with me as it would with, the, you know, because you're African-American. So that's why we're talking about it in this in this way. Um, like, stuff like the original Star Trek, right? Like, do you, I mean, do, do you see, like, in your, what's your take on them being, you know, shining light on these kind of issues in like, it, in the time they were on, like just looking back? Because I know you're you're familiar with TOS, obviously. Um, so I mean, do, do you feel like that does it does it live up to its like progressive reputation that it gets? Yes, and it was important. I mean, it's it's a it's a hallmark, <laughs> you know, as as a result of it. I mean, it's it's held up like I know in in lots of circles as being you know one of the one of the things that kind of like ushered in some change that was needed in the world people would look to star trek for that and the original series has a lot to do with that aspect of it that first interracial kiss right yes that was, that's one of it and of course you know nichelle nichols talks a lot about her her and dr king and dr king encouraging her to continue continue to stay on the show because it was important he's right and he was right 
And even, you know, in a lot of episodes, not a lot of episodes, but a handful of episodes, there was like this bigotry against Spock and people. And he was, I mean, it's not, and it's not just, hasn't have to be, and that's a great thing about science fiction. Is, I mean, sometimes they would address it like when, when Abraham, when Abraham Lincoln came on board. It sounds ridiculous, but in the context, it makes sense. And he calls uh, her like a charming negress, right? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. He's like, oh, well, we moved past being offended by words. I'm like, oh, my God. I wish we were like that today. <laughs> like, we, I cannot wait for that future of the 23rd century. But um, I, uh, I, Spock is like the other, right? He doesn't, like, fit into his own society or our society. And, he, and that's, that's, why he, that's why people gravitated toward him as much. And that's a big thing. And, like, A Balance of Terror, obviously, one of the most famous episodes. The Romulans look like him. Yeah. So they're like, what's you know? So there's this guy on the bridge who had a bad history with one, and and that's that is so today, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That, first of all, that episode really confused me when I was little and watched it the first time. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Did you think I was his dad? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the first time. And then yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They show these episodes out of order. I'm like, whoa, dad. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, I just you know, I, I, you'd have a better perspective than me on if it was like truly lived up to its you know progressive reputation is what I would say. And I, I mean, I feel it does intellectually, but you know, I mean, that's that's good to know that 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 you that you agree on on that front. Uh, so, yeah. no, it definitely does. It definitely holds up, and it's it's it is a reason why some things like started to kind of push towards the you know the the correct direction. So yeah, I mean that's Fire Beyond the Stars and East Space Nine and all that. I think, man, like. Um, I'm glad they obviously. I'm glad they chose Five Million Stars. This is the most socially relevant and what we need right now, right? Uh, it's in my top ten of D Space Nine. I would, I would, I would. My favorite is Way of the Warrior, okay. um, because that's like people are like, "Where do you want a D Space Nine movie?" And that's something people brought up in the panel. And obviously, Peter's like, "Look, we love to make it, but you know, it's just not there right now." But hey, now now we have Patrick Stewart coming back on CBS All Access. Um, I guess I'll just have to leave Cisco with the profits. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't see him coming back anytime soon. I mean, see, this year, Patrick Stewart is back. Next year, Avery Ruxman's back. Benjamin Cisco is back. That would be amazing. And you know, like his his reveal would be like it would it would it would rival Stewart's. Yeah, he would come down from the Celestial Temple itself, holding holding the Deep Space Nine <laughs> HD <laughs> Blu-rays. It would be amazing. Um, be yeah. I just want to see the the remastered uh, uh, Trials and Tribulations, so I can have, yeah. You know. <laughs> but um, yeah, Way of the Warrior is like the Deep Space Nine movie, yeah. right? So Warp comes on, and like the Klingon War, and all that. The fact that I that's still my favorite episode. Uh, the Visitor is probably right up there, number two. But I mean, but I get why they chose uh, Far Beyond the Stars for many reasons, and that's great that they had Mark Scott Zakree here talking about it because I that's the people I want to hear from. I'm hearing from the writer. That's why I went to the Ronald E. Moore panel. Of course, I talked about. Battlestar Galactica for most of it, but that's fine because I love Battlestar Galactica. And I highly recommend that. So anyway, um, so yeah, guys, that's that's the gist of Star Trek Las Vegas 18. Uh, like I said, Haley will be back to talk about all her experiences. I mean, there's so much to do here. Yes. Right. The host, we've all been hanging out and doing things together, but then we kind of go off and do our stuff, you know, and then we come back and, you know. Um, so we'll hear about her kind of track of, <laughs> of the convention next time. But but yeah, no, I, I again, if you've never been to Las Vegas uh, for these conventions, I highly recommend it. Like you owe it to yourself as a Star Trek fan to experience this. This is Star Trek Mecca, even though they tore down our temple from the for the uh, <laughs> the experience. The place is still here, so um yeah, the conventions are here, and I uh, and and hey, there is gonna be more Star Trek than ever yes. soon. So we'll have old stuff, new stuff, current stuff, upcoming stuff, you know. And it it is a great. It's just being around the fans, talking to people, meeting new people, talking about. 
just talking about Star Trek, hanging out, and even the people here like the Trekkies. So I can't. Like, hey, you guys, like I was talking, we were in line um, to, to the restaurant here, the Guy Fieri's restaurant. We're talking to, like the manager, and he's like, "Yeah, man, you guys are good people." I was like, "Well, thank you." <laughs> we we try to we try to follow the the, the the morals and laws of the show, and I said it just like that. No, but um, it was a lot of fun. You know, it's a lot of fun. I do recommend coming with friends. <laughs> you know, it would be. I, I honestly, maybe that's just my personality. I would find it a little intimidating just coming by myself. But hey. If you're a listener, you're, you got friends in us already. So come on down, hang out with the host and the listeners. Tell us who you are. We'll have a great time. And uh, yeah, it was it's great. So I I highly recommend Star Trek Las Vegas to everybody. I had a great time this year. Uh, it was different than the 50th, but that's good. I'm glad. Like I'm glad. I'm, I was like, okay, we'll do this again. What's it gonna be like doing this like so close together? I know a lot a lot of you guys, um, fellow hosts, they come every year, and I'm like, man, I don't know if I could do that, but yeah, I mean, doing it like every other year for me it works because I, I I don't see I feel like this is gonna be a thing. Like I'm, we'll see. But um, I, and there's enough separation where it's like I just did this, but every year is unique because the guests are different. You know, the 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 programming is different. Yeah, the in theory now there'll be new Star Trek stuff to talk about. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm I'm. Very excited, and I think they, they do a great job with it here. Other than again, just a little more hands off with the more hands off with the moderating, please. You know, I mean, just, I mean, you know, constructive criticism didn't ruin anything, right? Maybe just for the record, right? I'm saying like when you hear somebody like on a roll, don't cut them off, okay? Or insert yourself in a, the first review interviewing is don't make yourself part of the story. So, um, but yeah, I, I I enjoyed it, and and you can get. Uh, uh, you, you too can experience Star Trek Las Vegas next year, so I recommend everybody check it out. So, any final thoughts, Lance? Uh, no, definitely come out and and experience this for yourself. You owe it to yourself. You'll have a great time, and you'll build memories for a lifetime. I highly recommend it. Ten out of ten. All right, Lance. Well, thanks for joining me in Las Vegas <laughs> this week. Uh, if people want to find you out there on the internet, man, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Sir Lance Laster. All run together. Uh, thanks for having me on in in your world. Uh, shout out to Ken and Haley. All right, well, Star Trek Las Vegas 18 is the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM. Here's a quick look what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Meta Treks. You can see Gene Roddenberry playing with the idea of what we could become given our full potential and the aliens that have achieved that looking down and, and kind of criticizing or examining or evaluating humanity from a moral standpoint almost like q does in in putting humanity on trial there's a sense in which humanity is being judged by these morally superior aliens that are genuinely pacifists or in the case of q genuinely narcissistic the edge a star trek discovery podcast he's not trying to to be a starfleet officer he doesn't care about doing that in the context of well because i want to prove that i'm a starfleet officer but i think that and again this is what Perhaps in in hindsight, after the fact, he starts to realize that who he is aligns itself or can align itself with what Starfleet stands for. To the journey! I was wondering why they didn't do a mind meld at the end of the the episode. Why why would they do that? Because Tressa has 90 some odd years, 94, 96 years of life experience, and Tuvok is a Vulcan, so he can mind meld. Why wouldn't he do that? Because there's no reason to do that. You're just going around mind-melding with people willy-nilly just because they're old and you want their knowledge? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, it's like space genealogy. Dude, boundaries. Melodic treks. And, uh, you know, I talked to the producers when I first did the show, and the first thing they had me do was take a combination of the da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, the Sandy Courage wonderful horn theme, and... uh, 
Jerry's da 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 da, you know, his theme for the first movie, and, and make a theme out of that. So combine them. So I did it electronically, and they said good enough. And I said, I look, this is not my specialty. And they said, never mind, you got it. So, 18 years later, you know, that was it. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trek.fm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trek.fm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs> yes, and use the hashtag Trek Tuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>